0: Welcome to Highway Freaks, Real Truckers, Real Life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host, introducing my road crew from British Columbia, Canada, J-Man the Star, from Vancouver Island, Motorhead Park, and Cruisin Corinne. From Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Electric Aaron, and of course, country rock singer GM Blacktop, produced by Calgary's Power path We are highway freaks that's right we are highway freaks real truckers real life i'm your road dog host Bry guy on my road crew tonight on visit number 56 we have singer songwriter gm blacktop we have cruising corinne j-man the snarl and yours truly of course along with our producer power pav Now, making his Highway Freaks debut next week is going to be Jaguar. And, ladies, he is Aussie. So that's uh, a good thing from what uh, the female population tell me. Um, (laughs) Wow. What a week, guys. Uh, I want to address the now former Blackhawks NHL player Corey Perry. Uh, This has just been rampant all over the Internet. And um, I kind of want to set a few things straight because I have heard some podcasts in the last while. And they're just having a heyday with this. And I just wanted to clear up some of the, you know, some of the uh, rank here. A few days ago, Corey was put on waivers, which means any team can claim him. And they would have to pick up the remainder of his $2 million salary with $2 million in incentives. Now, yesterday... Corey Perry's contract was terminated, meaning no money would be paid farther or further to him. The reason given was he's engaged in unexpected, unacceptable conduct or behavior. Now, the vicious rumor that has been going full steam on the internet, and I mean full steam, it's picking up, was Corey Perry had slept with rookie phenom Connor Bedard's mother Melanie. Unequivocally, let me say to date, this is. Not true, okay? It's not based on evidence or anything of this kind. According to Frank Saravelli of the Daily Face Off podcast, the incident was alcohol fueled and took place November 17th in Nashville, Tennessee during a team organized function. The incident also involved a team employee. Today, Corey Perry himself acknowledged his drinking problem, good for him, and issued a sincere apology stating that he was addressing his alcohol problems. Now, Corey is uh, obviously a three-time All-Star, a Stanley Cup champion from the Anaheim Ducks, and he has 892 points over 1,273 games through 19 NHL seasons. So if you guys want to make any comments on that, feel free um, until we go on. Anybody got anything to add to that?
1: Well, I, I'd yeah. like to know why it's illegal to sleep with uh, uh, somebody's mother.
0: Well, it's It's not but it's highly frowned upon if it was uh, happening in the NHL. Uh, you know, it's just, there's, there's policies and procedures that have to be adhered to. And sometimes these things don't happen as, as they should. So uh, that's why I wanted to address this right away. Cause there is so much going on GM about that. And, uh, uh, cruising, cruising, Corinne's son, I know he does a hockey poca- podcast or did, uh, Did he have anything to uh, add to that today, Corinne, on you, with you?
2: I I haven't talked to him since this all came out.
0: Okay. All right. 100%. 100%. Right now, Corey Perry is tainted goods. Uh, No team will touch him until he gets his uh, problems addressed. And that's unfortunate because in the world (laughs) of the NHL, you miss time. You probably ain't going to catch up because the game is so fast paced and that's the thing all right so as a change of pace we are going to feature some of gm blacktop's music tonight um some of his classic music uh in fact some really really old stuff and then some really current stuff from kisses and cuddles the blacktop made me this way can you get back up ballerina dance and diesel kind of guy so and uh, gm will be our new house band uh well basically uh, starting in the new year so congratulations gm you uh, thank you you're gonna you're gonna basically be uh our uh, our truckers out there that are uh, gonna be uh, listening to you on a, a very regular basis so uh and i think That's it's well deserved thank you thank you're you. more than welcome okay. And we really enjoy having you on the podcast and speaking of your manager or your affiliation with Indie tunes, we are going Mm -hmm. to have Ken on from Indie tunes on December 9th on the eye opener show. I might add, I was talking to Ken today. Excellent, Mm -hmm. excellent uh, guy. And um, just a wealth of information. I'm really looking forward to that interview and, you know, of course, he, he manages the likes of, uh, well, Helix lead singer Brian Vollmer, Brent Durner, uh, Darby Mills. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? And uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Speaking of the eye-opener, double, double trouble, we have Brian Vollmer for part two of the eye-opener interview with yours truly tonight. That is one you don't want to miss. It starts with Brent and Brian actually getting into a fight. It's, it's it's wild. It's wild stuff. Uh, also, coming up on this weekend, which will be part of visits number 58, 59, and 60, a very in-depth eye-opener interview with James P. White. He's a... Uh, a small guy, radio announcer will call him, with Cruise FM out of Edmonton. Jimmy has a great story to tell, and not only is he now with Monster Pro Wrestling, which is a small wrestling faction that is growing, I might add, by leaps and bounds, but he's also on the number one morning radio show in Edmonton, Alberta, and this is well received, and I'm looking really forward to uh, talking to Jimmy and sitting down with him and some of the f- situations that he has found himself in on the Cruise morning show. And uh, we've been trying to get him for the last six months, so it's going to be an extreme pleasure t- to uh, sit down with him on Saturday and uh, go through his eclectic life. So let's start. First of all, what's on your mind tonight, Corinne? What, uh, what are you going to be talking about?
2: I will be talking about uh, a few places in Nevada that I've been to, um, a small community, Alamo, and the Extraterrestrial Highway, and the Great Basin Highway.
0: And you know what? It's funny that you say Nevada because guess where I am tonight? Mesquite Nevada. Nevada. You bet. The all a controversial GM who always likes those topics. What pray tell is on your mind tonight?
1: Uh, tonight I'm going to talk about uh, the concept and analyzing the concept of uh, unanswered prayers and. Uh, and
0: how that
1: has worked its way into our culture over the decades and centuries.
0: Now that sounds very deep, Reverend. <laughs> my old man was a reverend. I know. I, I'm. I'm very well aware of that. I think yep. I interviewed you one time. I'm pretty yep, sure I did. did. That's right. Yep. And he was a philosopher too. So. And now you're on my podcast isn't that yeah. funny how things work it truly yeah. is yeah okay so when we get back we are going to start with cruise and corinne because she has a great topic we love her as the travel gal everybody does and we certainly want to hear her latest travels so right now we're going to play some gm blacktop with some kisses and cuddles on highway freaks
1: Driving down a two lane is singing, windows down, sunglasses on Dreaming about that sexy little woman, suntan lines go good with blondes I'm gonna call her up when I get home, and then I'm gonna snuggle with her all night long Kisses and cuddles and bubble bath bubbles, with dim those lights with chill like wine. Her lipstick is surely gonna get me in trouble My addiction ought to be certified She brings me to my knees When she cuddles me up and starts kissing on me Chinese food at three in the morning Show me your new bathing suit I'll pick up a guitar and honey I'll strum it and sing love songs About me and you Tomorrow I'm gonna call up the boss Tell him I won't be in Cause I got lost in Kisses and cuddles and bubble bath bubbles We'll dim nose lights, We'll chill one Just as I figured, yeah, I was in trouble The minute I looked into her eyes She brings me to my knees When she cuddles me up and starts kissing on me Yes, she does And cuddles and bubble by bubbles will dim nose lights will chill out and whining Just as I figured, yeah, I was in trouble The minute I looked into her eyes She brings me to my knees Yeah, she makes me want to scream Yeah, she's every man's dream When she cuddles me up and starts kissing on me
2: Welcome back. So that was GM Blacktop's Kisses and Cuddles. Hope you enjoyed that. And tonight I am going to share a couple of interesting areas in Nevada that I have traveled through. Uh, they're not necessarily huge tourist attractions or destinations, but they're interesting if you happen to be in that area. On the last few podcasts, I talked about Moab, Monticello, Grand Canyon, and Bryce Canyon. These were part of a three-week motorcycle trip I did making a big loop through the U.S. hitting on popular destinations. I had researched, pre-planned, and pre-booked almost all of the three weeks. There were only a few nights uh, towards the last half that I left flexible in case I wanted to stay an extra day here and there. And in those three weeks, uh, we tented all but one night. When I looked at maps to see where to head to going west from the Grand Canyon, there wasn't many choices, and you are also heading into very remote, hot, deserty areas. So when planning these trips, because of my bike as well, I have to take into account gas station locations and the distances between. I don't know why, but Honda put a rather small fuel tank on the Rebel at 11.2 litres. So once I hit about 200 kilometers on my trip meter, I'm already thinking about finding a gas station to top up. The farthest I, was, I have ever been forced to push it on the bike was 270 kilometers. And that was not my idea of fun. I was pretty sure I was gonna end up stranded in the middle of Mexico with no fuel. Uh, the Rebel is considered a commuter bike, but I have blown that idea to bits and proven them all wrong currently just under 48,000 kilometers, and the majority is from traveling on my trips. So back to the back to the topic here, because of uh, a planned destination in the last half of the trip from the Grand Canyon, I was looking northwest for a place to stop for the night. I wanted to go through Las Vegas, but my idea was nixed by my boyfriend at the time. He didn't want to go through the big city. And I was also told by other riders to stay away from Death Valley due to its insanely hot temperatures and lack of stops and lack of gas stations. So in my research, I came across a small community in Nevada it was called Alamo, which is north of Las Vegas. After looking at their local campsite websites and Google Maps and considering the oven-like temperatures that could happen in that area, I chose to book a hotel for that one night stay. I can tolerate extreme adverse conditions when I'm riding and have been caught in heavy downpours, hail, and extreme heat. Well, This ride to Alamo turned out to be extremely challenging, and that wasn't even including my worry of finding a gas station. It was so, so hot, and the side wind was insane. It was blowing so hard across that I was leaning so far over to keep my bike in the lane, I thought I was gonna be knee down to the pavement to to stay upright. By the time we got to Alamo, I was sore and exhausted just from trying to stay in my lane. On the way to Alamo, we rode through um, Dry Lake and Great Basin Highway that are very flat and vast. Stopped to take some pictures and could hear an airplane approaching. Finally, there was two fighter jets flew over, and they were go. They were very, very low, doing their flyby. It was cool to see, but they did it a couple times, and I started to wonder if we were like in the wrong area and in trouble. If they were going to start shooting missiles at us or something, I don't know what was up. And uh, in the end, they were just doing probably their practice runs. They would swoop through on a low low flyby and then they would fly nose straight up and swoop back down. It was almost like they were playing around in the, in the basin. Um, I booked a, a room at a place called the Alamo Inn and yeah the rooms could have used updating but the staff were friendly, the room was clean and best of all the AC was working when we were there. realized quickly by the temperatures outside that booking a room with AC was the best decision and a necessity. I, I, I love camping and, and tenting, but I have to admit, it was nice to have that room for that one night. A pleasant surprise in Alamo was a store called The Great Basin Foods. It's a combo gas bar, grocery store, and restaurant um, serving Chester chicken. It was very yummy, especially after a tiring day fighting those sidewinds all, all day riding there. And another amazing food item the deli served was for breakfast, their breakfast burrito. It was huge, it was enough for two people full of scrambled eggs, bacon and and sausage. And I highly recommend checking that place out if you're in the area. Alamo had a unique bylaw when I was there. They were a designated dry town and did not sell alcohol. But from the edge of town and you look down the highway just outside of town limits you could see a store or bar it was a combo that did so you could go to that store buy your beer or beverage of your choice and bring it back into Alamo to to enjoy and this was a few years ago since I've been there so I'm not sure if they have changed this bylaw bylaw or not so you'd have to check into that the this trips next big destination spot was Yosemite National Park via Tonopah and Highway 375, and Highway 375 in Nevada is also known as the extraterrestrial highway. This was going to be one of the stretches that I might have to call upon the jerry can to get my Honda Rebel to the to the next gas station in Tonopah, so to try to conserve fuel. I didn't make it a race to get there and kept to the speed limit for the most part. And apparently through Highway 375 got the name Extraterrestrial Highway because of the number of UFO sightings in the area. It also runs past the Nevada Test and Training Range, including Nevada National Security Site and formerly Top Secret Area 51. The main town or village along this highway is uh, Rachel, Nevada. Of course, its theme revolves around the aliens, UFO sightings. Um, they've got those boards that you put your face through, get your picture taken, and the restaurant's menus revolve around, around that topic. So it's definitely a little quirky town, kind of cool to check out if you're there. And so everyone makes fun of the prairies here in Canada, saying things like they are flat and you can see tomorrow and all that kind of stuff. At one point on the extraterrestrial highway, looking straight ahead, the li- highway literally went as far as you could see. There's no curves, no hills. I was curious how far that endpoint was that I could see to the next rise or peak or curve. So I made note of my starting kilometers uh, at that point and continued riding and riding and riding. So I'm going to ask you guys on the panel if you want to take a guess at how many kilometers I rode to get to that end point.
3: I'd say a thousand.
2: Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: What was the start point?
2: Yeah, like from that start point where I started clocking the kilometers. How far do you think I rode to the first um, point that turned, like, was a bit of a hill, a ridge, or like that? It wasn't straight, straight.
1: Oh, I see. There was uh, kilometers. Yeah, in kilometers,
2: 165. Oh. <laughs> do you want to guess, Brian?
0: 705
2: oh, there, wait, it, it was 25 kilometers i thought that was insane oh. at the time to go to be able to see that far down straight highway there was no turns or anything well
0: maybe, you're, you're maybe it felt like seven, it. seven maybe it felt like 705.
2: yeah yeah I kind of did on a motorcycle for sure yeah.
0: so my answer right truck I, I got the yeah, right probably. answer
2: <laughs> well, i don't
1: know if 700 is the right answer but anyway
2: well the right answer was twenty five that was the right one, so whoever well, was close to that,
1: that that sounds like a little bitch answer to me <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay,
1: oh, twenty five kilometers. I see flat road twenty five kilometers every day <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this had absolutely no no turn it, nothing like no bump nothing it was you just ever strange. been across
1: you ever been across New Mexico to white sands?
2: Mm, no, not yet. No, I haven't been there. Well,
1: yet. try that sometimes. It's over by Roswell.
2: Okay, I'll put that on my bucket list.
1: You will like oh. it, but it's way more than 25 kilometers of nothing and straight okay. and flat.
2: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'll put that on there. All right. So I'll continue on. So um, these hot, dry, flat areas are interesting to see and experience when it's all new. But I have to admit, I prefer riding through the mountains and the twisty roads when I'm on my bike. And I came across this tidbit of information that I thought our panel member Ghost Greg, Greg might like, but he's not here with us tonight. But Tanapa, Tanapa trades aliens for ghosts, offering overnight ghost adventures at a couple of their local hotels, or you can check out the Ghost Mining Park and Ghost Town. Jesus. So, as I mentioned in my intro, these places aren't huge tourist attractions, but they are very interesting if you have never been there before. Do any of you guys have anything else to add?
0: Yeah. Okay. That was very, very good as always, Corinne. Um, I I definitely know some of those areas because I've driven by a lot of those areas. But I didn't know some of the uh, exact details of, of you know what goes on in those areas. So I'm always intrigued by st- stuff like that. It's really good. When
2: I um, when I was booking in at Alamo, I was a little bit leery and hesitant. I didn't know what to expect because I knew it was a little small town and and in the middle of nowhere. But it turned out to be just fine. It was a a cute little place.
1: You, you I thought have, it was a great you thought it was a great setting for a horror movie. <laughs>
2: well with the extraterrestrial highway right after yeah, yeah it could be all sorts of different movies Might have been,
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i i remember one truck stop in particular i I just have to throw this in because it's just something that i'll never forget it was in laredo and jay i've told you about this i have sent you pictures it was the most strangest place you've ever seen it was this massive massive collection of corvettes that they I don't think some of them had motors. Some didn't have doors. It was just a line of Corvettes. And then you went in this old, old town truck stop and there was this glass, uh, shelf and inside the glass shelf. Now, this is the creepy part. There were boots, lots of boots and they weren't new boots. Okay. So jokingly, I said to my wife, I said, well, that's probably where the, you know, the dead truckers boots end up because, uh, my god it was just the creepiest place you, you just had those really weird vibes and you went in there and they had that old furniture you know that orange and green uh you know f- that furniture that had like it had really weird uh material attached to it i'm sure you guys have seen it w- you know if you go back to your grandma and grandpa's house you'll probably you know you maybe you grew up with some of that stuff but it was the weirdest thing and he had all these boots that were sitting in this glass case and they weren't like pairs of boots no 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 there was like you know one big boot one cowboy boot so it and nobody was around nobody was around and so i i I ventured into the bathroom because you know nature called and it was the darkest scariest bathroom it had one they had a light over the stall and it was, it had all this uh, nasty stuff over the the lamp of the light, and it was the most dimmest thing. Like you couldn't see anything in that bathroom, and the and then when you went to look in the mirrors, the mirrors were all like the glass had. Uh, you could see it over periods of time that the glass had uh, all that pitted and like all it was just pitted terribly. Right, I mean you could barely see your face in the mirror. Right, and. Oh my gosh! The parking lot had more potholes in it than probably all of the streets of Edmonton. It was it was really really bad, but it just gave me the creeps. And I think Bandit and I stayed there for maybe two hours, and we just got he he looked at me, I looked at him, and I said, "Let's go. This is just not right, right?" And uh, that was the creepiest creepiest truck stop I've ever. And I got pictures to prove it. Anybody wants to see them, I'll put them on the Highway Freaks Facebook page because. They will not do it justice.
2: I think I've
1: heard of that place. Well, that's just uh, like that truck.
2: truck. To to, uh, Brad Guy's boot story, have you guys heard about the feet that this was a few years back that got washed up on Vancouver, around Vancouver Island? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. In running shoes? Yep.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure if Brian knows this or not, but it's interesting you mentioned that truck stop because I've heard of that truck stop in the. It was a period of time in the late '70s, but there was a, down that way. There was a whole slew of one-legged drifters that disappeared, and um, pretty sure that's where they ended up. I
0: believe it. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Da da There you go. And GM, I definitely want to hear your topic tonight on this prayer thing so before we do that we are going to play a song of gm blacktop and uh, by the way you can get his stuff uh from spotify and check it out uh he's got some great music on there and i believe if i'm not uh mistaken you did three cds so far right jim correct right exactly okay so the blacktop made me this way from highway freaks Right here.
1: I scream through the night like a hell on wheels. Gotta make Baton Rouge. Two hundred bucks at the Tennessee scale Let me broke. Said I broke the rules. Now I ain't seen. In the last three weeks And I feel like I'm going insane Yeah, the blacktop made me this way Yeah, 39 tons of steel on steel Makes you feel just like a rock You roll down the road with the talk box on Hammer down, but don't get caught. Yeah, six hours late and a dollar shy My attitude's bad today Yeah, the blacktop made me this way The black top has got a hold on me Rolling through the chapters of my life Top as I go round and round Now I know I ain't no regular guy And that's good, I gotta say Yeah, the blacktop made me this way And the blacktop has got a hold on me Rolling through the chapters of my life Made me this way Yeah, the Black And that was the black made me this way. And I guess it kind of has actually over the years. So uh, anyway, my topic tonight is the concept of unanswered prayer. And um, we've all dealt with it. I mean, I think people have been dealing with it since the beginning of, uh, well, A, since the beginning of religion. And, and B, since the beginning of hope and all sorts of things. So the question I have is, and it's going to be kind of a, a panel question is I'd like to know first in a short version, because I don't know if we want to get into huge lengthy uh, descriptions here, but in a short version from everybody, what do you think are unanswered prayers in your own words, in a short in a short description? Maybe you start with
0: Brian. Oh, 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 I'm putting my, putting, putting my hand up here. Um, I'll tell you, because I, I think truck drivers pray probably more honestly than a lot of occupations because you're praying to get out of a situation. Maybe you're in the ditch or maybe, you know, you're, you're out in really bad weather and you're going, oh, oh please, please, truck gods. I say truck gods because I believe the truck gods. Please get me out of this. Get me out of this. And I know, I know for a fact that I prayed to the truck gods last winter. When I was sitting on those railroad tracks that Jay and I were discussing there at the last podcast, because I truly believe there is a higher power out there that does answer our prayers on the road. Because some of the situations we get ourselves into, <laughs> the, the laws of fixed physics don't dictate that we're going to live. They they, but yet I can tell you through my experiences, some of the things I've that have happened to me. Oh yeah, I, I I pray to the Almighty or the truck gods or what you want. So that's how I would re, I have, that's how I would refer to it, GM.
1: Except I'm talking about unanswered prayers. So in order for you to make that make sense for me, would be you praying to get out of the ditch and you never do.
0: Well, no, some some of my prayers don't get answered, and that's that's why Nobody I get myself I mean. into a lot of shit. No, but so,
1: what you're talking about is how you pray to pray to the higher power to get you out of a mess, and he does kind of thing, or, or whatever it is does. But I'm asking what everybody's description of an unanswered prayer is. Like when you have an unanswered prayer,
0: how do you perceive it? How do you process it? I love that answer. God's God's answering somebody else's prayer. He's busy. Yeah, I'm I'm on hold. Nope.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's but that's that's my point. Okay, I'll, I'll. Well, Corinne, maybe you could give us a bit of insight on that. I th-
2: I think unanswered prayer. Okay, we all you know wish ask for things or pray for things, and um, God, like I'm Christian, so God knows what's best for us and and not best for us. So to me, if you're asking for certain things and God decides that that's not the best way for us to go, so you don't get that then that would be an unanswered prayer.
1: Okay, so then this brings me to my next question. Do we all believe, or don't we believe, that is real, are we really that micromanaged in the sense that we're, uh, like a person can say an unanswered prayer was, I turned right and I wanted to turn right, so I did. Uh, And I'm glad that uh, my prayer was not answered. I was forced to turn left, but I'm glad that happened. So do we really believe that we're that micromanaged in life when it comes to making decisions that we feel come from our gut or whatever? And when we get an unanswered prayer and say, thank God I turned left when I wanted to turn right, stuff like that. Are we really that micromanaged by a higher power? That's a pretty good question, I think. There's There's an old poem that is called Footprints. And there's two sets of footprints walking in the sand. And and the one guy is in the complete end of his rope. And all of a sudden, the set of footprints disappears. And the guy is so mad at God. He says, we're walking along the beach together. And when my time of hardship came, I saw your footprints disappear. Why did you leave me in my hardest time? And God said, I wasn't leaving you. I was carrying
0: you. Exactly. How about this? Unanswered prayer is intensely personal. It's how we view God's response to our prayers. The more theologically clever usually don't like the phrase unanswered prayer. In reality, they say there are no unanswered prayers.
3: There's always unanswered prayers.
1: Well, it's a very deep discussion and it takes more than this podcast to get to the bottom of it. The reason I brought it up was...
0: All right, so that's pretty deep, and we don't want to go too much into that but i i will t I will tell you one joke to lighten up the mood okay <laughs> there's this this is this is really good okay you'll 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 quite enjoy this there's this man, and he's uh he's sitting by a dock, and there's this other man, and uh the uh weather starts turning really really bad, right and the man goes okay come on we got to go the weather's getting really bad and one man says no it's it's fine god god will take care of me he goes you you go right so the weather starts getting really really bad right and uh so along comes a, a guy in a boat he goes come on we have to really go the weather's getting bad and he goes no, 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 no. You you go. God will take care of me. So the guy leaves, and the guy's still there, and the weather's getting worse and worse. You got tornadoes whipping up. You got hurricanes, you know. And a guy came by with a helicopter, right? And he goes, okay, come on. Come on, it's time to go. Weather's getting really bad. He goes, no, no. God will take care of me. So then the hurricane whips up, and it kills him. And he finds himself at the pearly gates. And uh, he said, God, God, why, why have you forsaken me? I believed in you. And God says, well, I sent you a boat, and I sent you a helicopter. There you go. Good point.
2: He missed it. He missed it.
1: A 16-year-old girl prays to God that she doesn't get that she's not pregnant. Okay. So she's praying to God that she's not pregnant, that she's just 16. Right? So she then has a baby. And the baby grows up, and the baby becomes the the biggest thing in her life that she loves so much. And she can not even imagine being without her child. And that is a classic example of an, unta-
0: of an unanswered prayer. Okay. So um, we should play another one of GM's classic songs. And uh, this one is actually about a firefighter. And it's called Can You Get Back Up on Highway Freaks? After this, we got Bry Guy's topic. What will that be? years old
1: his first day on his bike his daddy watches on his mama hopes he'll be all right and it's going great it hasn't come down once they think he'll be okay then he falls Tears roll down his cheek, and the blood rolls out his knee, his daddy gives his hand to him and says, can you get back up, can you try again? You think that nasty scrape can wait? I think we've got the hang of it. If we turn back now, you see it's all a waste. If you're gonna see some pleasures in your life, son, you gotta stand a little pain. Now he's twenty. Week on the job, the 911 comes in a fire down on old Diablo way, and with all he's learned, he thinks he'll do just fine. He can't believe the heat when he finally steps inside with thick smoke all around him. An injured man in his arms He lifts his mask He looks at him and says Can you get back up? Can you try again? Do you think those injuries can wait Until I get us out of here? Turn back now You see, it's all a waste If you're gonna see your wife and kids again, sir You gotta stay a little pain They walk through the front door Arm in arm oh, Still fighting for each breath ran to meet them halfway across the yard with a look he'll never forget like the words his daddy said can you get back up can you try again do you think that nasty scrape can wait? I think we've got the hang of it. If we turn back now, see it's all a waste. If you're gonna see some pleasures in your life, son, you gotta stay a little pain. Can you get back up? Can you try again? Those injuries can wait until I get us out of here, if we turn back now, you see it's all a waste sir, if you're gonna see your wife and kids again, you're gonna stand a little pain. Wait until I get us out of here. If we turn back now, you see it's all the waste. If you're gonna see some pleasures in your life, son, you gotta stay. Five years old, his first day on his bike. Daddy watches on His mama hopes He'll be alright
0: Wow We're definitely getting deep tonight But uh, that's all good Uh, uh, Just wanted to say All to the freaks out there If you have comments Of any of our topics Or maybe you felt that we should have discussed something Please we want to hear from you. Uh, it's called the Road Crew 2022 at gmail.com. And uh, just mention who you are, or mention the topic, or even mention the, uh, the visit. We call them visits because we like you to visit us. And um, we will see if we can either clean it up or maybe we can make another discussion from it. Okay. Speaking of discussions, I want to go through 15 crazy facts about Elvis Presley you did not know. Okay, let's start with the very first one. Elvis's jet black hair wasn't all natural. Yeah, he, he was known for his sleek black hair, but he dyed it as a teenager with, of all things, shoe polish. Anyway, he later upgraded to Miss Clairol 51D, okay, black velvet, and a, a, another product called Mink Brown. Now, Elvis recorded his first song at the age of 18 as a gift for his mother for four However, she never heard the song because the Presleys were so poor, they didn't own a record player. So, what he did is he released the song publicly a year later. And that song, as everybody knows, was That's All Right Mama. Okay. Uh, Elvis Presley's Graceland Mansion is the second most visited home in the United States. Anyone knows what the first one is? No idea. The White House. Okay. I got it right. Following following his death, his ex wife, Priscilla Presley, opened the gates for tours, and nearly six hundred thousand fans visit Graceland every year compared to one point two five million that visit the White House. Elvis bought the Memphis mansion for anybody know this one? A hundred and two thousand five hundred dollars in nineteen fifty seven. That is a king's ransom back then, when he was just twenty two years old. And he pretty much bought it for his mother. There's no doubt about that. The economic impact on the city of Memphis—they get over 150 million per year from Graceland, like the from the you know the economics of it, right? Um, a lot of people might not know that Elvis was a seventh-degree black belt in karate. He started training in Europe in 1958 while he was in the army right up until his death in 1977. He showed off his skills in 1971 with an encounter with a very, very famous singer. Anybody know who that is? No. Alice Cooper in Las Vegas. Alvis actually requested Alice to show up at the hotel. Okay, and there at the hotel with Alice was, if you can believe it, Liza Minnelli, Chubby Checker, and porn queen Linda Lovelace. Okay. Upon arrival at the hotel, Elvis brought Cooper to the kitchen in the in his suite, opened a drawer, and handed him a loaded pistol, asking Alice to put it to his head. Within seconds, Elvis perfectly executed a flying kick, sending the gun through the air. Then he trips and pins Alice Cooper to the ground by his neck. Very lethal. Elvis also inhaled his tooth cap while filming Jailhouse Rock in 1975. While sliding down a pole in the opening dance number, Elvis lost the cap off his tooth. Now, that sounds kind of comical, but it actually got lodged in his lung, and Elvis actually required surgery on set to remove it. The surgery required separation of his famous vocal cords, and everybody said, that's it, he's done. He was hoarse for a few days, but he said, I've got to do this for my fans, and he made a miraculous recovery for them. I truly believe that Elvis did a lot of stuff for his fans when he should not have. That's not a doubt a doubt in my mind. Elvis's jumpsuits, let's get into that. They gained about 50 pounds during his complete tours and his runs, and he started wearing iconic jumpsuits in the 1970s. Each of them weighed about 25 to 30 pounds. In later years, they became more intricate with embroidery and jewels, and some weighed as much as 75 pounds. Elvis' heaviest jumpsuit, was his most expensive and iconic was called the American Eagle which was known as the Aloha where where he of course was on tour in Hawaii when he did that tour and he wore that and it was worth seventy or sixty five thousand dollars back then today would cost four times that amount to make the same suit That's over two hundred thousand dollars okay Elvis is the second most paid deceased celebrity okay who's the first one anybody know Michael Jackson Michael Jackson. Right. The King's estate raked in $100 million, just $15 million behind the King of Pop. Number one spot, Michael Jackson. Despite being dead for over 40 years, Elvis Presley still sells out one million albums each year. The King of Rock had a twin brother. Elvis was born 25 minutes after his identical brother, Jesse Garen Presley. The two were born in the parents' two-room house in East Tupelo, Mississippi. Jesse Garin was born as a stillborn, and Elvis actually had Jesse buried at Graceland with a grave marker as well. Okay, so Elvis also made his Las Vegas debut in 1956, and he didn't return to Las Vegas until 1969. He first performed in Las Vegas on April 23, 1956 as a 21-year-old. He made his comeback in 1969 to film the hit movie Viva Las Vegas. In 1963, he married Priscilla, which was May 1st, 1967. Now, he met his 22-year-old bride when he was stationed in Germany during his service in the U.S. Army. And contrary to everybody's belief, he did not sing while he was overseas. I'll tell you why. If it... Basically wasn't making money for the Colonel. Elvis wasn't singing. That's the bottom line. Okay. They were married at the Aladdin Hotel and from 1969 of December to his death, Elvis sold out 837 consecutive shows. Now I'd love to see Taylor Swift do that. Okay. Elvis never learned to read music, nor did he write or compose a single song. Now this is wild. Okay. Because The only song that he ever recorded, guys, was That's All Right, Mama. And all the other ones were done basically by artists that he, what he would do is the Colonel would say, okay, you want, you know, you want one of these songs that Elvis can sing of yours? Give us 50% credit and give us 50% credit on the writing. So he was actually considered a co-writer on a lot of these, but he really never sang the songs. That's the, the most wildest thing about this. And we're talking the likes of Mac Davis, Gordon Lightfoot, Don McLean, Neil Diamond, Andy Williams, Danny and the Juniors, uh, Dottie West, Bob Dylan, Roy Acuff and the Smoky Mountain Boys, Carl Perkins. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Actually, he sang 600 songs. Who knew? Who knew? Not to mention Frank Sinatra, Jerry Reed, Del Shannon, who we talked about on a podcast uh, prior, Hank Snow, which I met that man, he was a miserable prick, Uh, Jackie Wilson, and BJ Thomas. So this left an opportunity to bring his own brand of emotion, energy, and feeling into the music. That's why he did it. He never wanted to be typecasted as a gospel singer or as a country western singer. I'm sure you knew that, GM. On some of the records, he is listed as the co-writer, like I said, but they had to give up 50% to do that. Now here's one that you probably did not know, and I'm gonna try and channel my best Elvis impersonation when I do this. Elvis only appeared in one commercial during his whole career. In 1954, he agreed to film a commercial for Southern Made Donuts. He sang the happy song on a Louisiana hayride in return for a box of hot glazed donuts. He didn't even want the money. He just wanted the donuts. Okay, he sang, you can get the piping hot after 4 p.m. You can get the piping hot after 4 p.m. Southern Made Donuts hits the spot. You can get the piping hot after 4 p.m. Unfortunately, the commercial was never released and Elvis did 17 TV appearances and starred in over 31 movies. Now here's one a lot of people just can't even fathom. Elvis never performed outside of North America. Aside from a small handful of Canadian concerts in 1957, that would be Toronto, Vancouver, not Calgary, Edmonton, none, none of those smaller venues, Elvis never performed overseas on a foreign land. And again, because of his manager, Colonel Tom Parker refused offers for Elvis to perform in other countries because, get this guys, Colonel Tom Parker was not a colonel, and he was an actually illegal immigrant himself. Parker was afraid of not being allowed going back in the United States. Interestingly enough, 40% of Elvis' music sales actually come outside the United States. So Elvis could have made it huge in overseas, but he was never allowed to. Here's another one. Elvis bought Franklin Roosevelt's presidential yacht. Now, it was known as the Floating White House from 1936 to 1945. The Potomac was originally a 165 foot Coast Guard cutter. After the president's death in 1945, the ship had actually uh, had previous owners before Elvis bought it. Now, here's the thing he never sailed it. It was bought for $55,000.64, and he donated the ship to St. Jude's Hospital to raise money for medical work. Elvis really believed in that. He was a huge fan of guns and firearms, and a big, big, huge firearms enthusiast. He owned 37 firearms, including one machine gun, even at his own target practice range at Graceland. Uh, He had a Smith & Wesson Model 53 double-action revolver. It was gifted to him in November 1976 by a president. Anybody know who that was? Anybody? President Theodore Roosevelt. Okay. And nine months before he died, he had got that. The revolver had a bald eagle holding a 13-star Betsy Ross American flag On one train, a gold momentum flanked by stars on the other, plus the Liberty Bell on the backstrap. And now, recently, it fetched $199,750 at a Rhode Island auction company on September 6, 2023. Elvis boarded all planes with a gun, despite it not being allowed. He got away with that. In 1956, Mr. Presley was given a .410 Winchester shotgun. He obtained marksman and sharpshooter badges uh, for the M2 carbine as well as the M1911 and M1 rifles during his time in the Army. He also served as a deputy sheriff, now this one I didn't know, in Shelby County in 1964 and actually owned a Colt government model for safety at Graceland. He was paranoid about safety at Graceland as well. Uh, Now, let's get into some weird things Elvis ate and they are weird. Peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Okay, that's not so bad, but then he throws in a couple slices of bacon, fries them up in batter or bacon fat. He also had a thing called a fool's gold loaf. It was a hollowed out sourdough loaf stuffed with an entire jar of jelly and an entire jar of peanut butter and a whopping pound of bacon. Throw it in the oven, bake it up. That's your fool's gold loaf. Party meatballs little bacon wrapped in beef meatballs completely fried breakfast every day he had breakfast every day there was all fried we're talking refried beans uh half a dozen eggs bacon ham sausage hash browns flapjacks which would be pancakes uh hand b- baked rolls and of course coffee okay Uh, For a snack, he'd have things like hot dogs loaded with sauerkraut with lots of soda, of course. His favorites were Pepsi, Nesbitt's Orange, and Shasta Black Cherry. Okay, Uh, you ever heard of a burned and bacon sandwich? Well, Elvis ate lots of those. Um, Basically, it's burnt bacon crumble atop a massive spread of mayonnaise. Then you have canned black olives and chopped uh, pecans. And then you sandwich it with the bread and yeah that's your sandwich he also had barbecued bologna sandwiches with barbecue sauce basted with vinegar lemon juice red pepper salt cooked in the oven for basically a half hour between two slices of bread then you pull it out you smear another jar of barbecue sauce and cook it for another 15 minutes bon appetit okay Uh, it's it's very interesting to note that in some of these things that elvis ate well, number one, they weren't healthy. But number two, he ate these on a regular basis. So We're not just talking like once a week or whatever. We're talking like, you know, four or five times a week. He also had coconut cake. Now, this is one of his favorite dessert his mama made. him. It was packed with sugar milk and a dozen eggs and, of course, a bag of coconut. How about fried dill pickles? Fried in pure lard oil to crispy golden brown in a large batter. Um, it is interesting to note that before Elvis Presley's death he was consuming and this is sounds really exaggerated but a hundred thousand calories per day and he was apparently to have weighed 350 pounds upon his death and it was confirmed as hypertensive cardiovascular disease with arteriosclerotic heart disease that's how Elvis uh, passed away Uh, not very pleasant but uh, if you look at what he was eating and consuming you could probably understand how he kind of let himself go, and it is sad because, you know, this once, uh, you know, uh, amazing singer, you know, basically were, was, you know, left to uh, a diet of what we just described, not to mention prescription pills, where he had actually prescribed uh, somewhere of a twenty thousand pills, about eight thousand pills a year. So, um, I think Jay, you mentioned it in the morning. He was hopped up on pills. All the way tonight, and how he performed—just uh, no one knows. But he did it for so much for his fans. So those are facts about the king that you probably didn't know. GM, I know you were in- influenced by Elvis uh, yeah. with your music. Anything you've got to add to what? By, yeah, uh, I
1: got a couple of cool things. Uh, one really cool thing, but I can tell you a couple of things. The whole thing with Colonel Tom, Tom Parker was the fact that he couldn't—he couldn't, you know, lose the country, so he kept kept Elvis back, but there was a rumor back then that he came from Eastern Europe, and there was a bit of a rumor that Colonel Tom Parker uh, in the war was Nazi, and uh, nobody ever really proved that, but that was uh, that's one of the reasons they say he, he was such a, a hidden guy and why he was so secret is he had a secret past that he didn't want anybody to find out about still. That was one of the things the second the second thing is elvis had a um and i have uh, my my mom adored elvis to the point of trying and i was a huge he was an in, huge influence on me and my writing and stuff but um he also had a side of him that was just ugly he was a very uh, the guns thing was very reckless and he was given all the keys to many cities and stuff but they, he had a, his crew around him called the Music Mafia, or the Memphis Mafia, sorry. And they they were a pretty tough crew. And uh, Elvis, through a lot of his shows, uh, they weren't all glamorous. Sometimes, as Jay said earlier, he was so high on stage, he didn't know up from down. So it was a really sad story. Uh, but amazing guy and gentleman, as you said, in, in most of his situations, very generous. Uh, blah blah blah, and the most amazing thing that I've had, I I had a, uh, I was lucky enough to live in Memphis for five years. Um, I had a trucking company there and whatnot. But the coolest thing is Elvis was a, I think, in sixth degree uh, black belt, and uh, he he trained from a guy named Con Reed in the art of pasarayu. and uh, Elvis had a fifth degree black belt. Anyway. To make a long story short when i was in memphis i trained at the same facility elvis trained at and believe it or not he was 75 years old at the time but i was actually trained by kong ri i got my green belt in pasirayu and i was trained by elvis's Rayu and uh, uh, sensei which i have always been proud of and uh,
0: i think that's a pretty cool story so let's let's let Corinne, have the last word here because she hasn't uh, partaked in this. What do you what What do you have to say, Corinne?
2: I don't remember. I was quite young, so I don't remember everything um, about Elvis. I enjoyed his music, and uh, I do remember the day he died when they announced it on the radio. Um, I was my mom was. Uh, I was living in Edmonton, growing up in Edmonton. My mom was getting ready for an Edmonton Eskimos football game to go. And uh, I, was, I was at the kitchen table doing homework or something, and um, it came on, they announced it on the radio that he had, he had passed away, and my mom just lost it. She couldn't stop crying over it.
3: Yeah, it was a big it's day for sure. funny, if you go to yeah. Vancouver, go to Vancouver, outside of the Vancouver Sun paper headquarters, you'll find a scratched in the concrete Elvis lives.
0: (laughs) I remember... let's go to some classic GM. And after this, Jay, you've got a topic that I definitely want to hear that things get yep. smuggled over the border. Uh, this is a very interesting song. GM is called ballerina dance. And after we get back, you can tell us a little bit about that. And this is it right here on highway freaks. Enjoy.
1: Sound more beautiful I never felt more peace I never heard music so clear in my ears moving like angels singing Slow like a river flowing Graceful and strong The stage disappears Brings you to tears Start, baby, for one night. This is your chance, dance, ballerina, dance. Time stops to lose. Cherish this moment we're in It just don't get any better than this Just like a kiss from a an angel Change. This is your change. Oh yeah. This is your change.
0: So uh, I know uh, none of our freaks have heard this song on the podcast. And um, what is that song about, GM?
1: Well, at the time, uh, my niece was uh, taking ballet. And uh, I remember uh, just one day, you know, just really thinking about the beauty and whatnot that went into ballet. So the song was written about uh, a young girl, not a young girl necessarily, but a girl who is just uh you know captures the moment of beauty in her in her ballet and about um, uh, her dreams of becoming a ballerina um and uh just you know really reaching for the stars and i i wrote that song in a, in a, in a moment of uh, you know kind of emotionally um charged with the beauty of uh of this ballerina reaching for the stars That's like
0: that oh, okay all right. Huh. Good, to, good to know. Okay, yeah. J Man, it is your turn. You're on stage. Tell us why we can't smuggle seahorses across the border.
3: They have some strange aphrodisiacs. Now, In in 2018, A man was stopped with a jar of freeze-dried seahorses. And they're an aphrodisiac in, in, in China. Now, sadly, we can't get seahorse in British Columbia. But Another thing is, they're big on black bear. Many hunters have been been busted selling black bear gallbladder. Now, some of these medicinal things go back to ancient times. Live tarantulas across the border. A man was busted with um, a suitcase full of live tarantulas, and I I would have loved to have been there because I'd have shit my pants. But the suitcase was was moving, and it was live tarantulas. Oh yeah! Smuggling. I I'd have lost my shit. Um that's gross <laughs> but um yeah they the the suitcase was literally literally moving and they were Ooh. live was brought over from china um all he wanted to be was a detective sadly he died today at uh, 60 years old of a massive heart attack um He worked for CN Rail as a CN Rail cop. Yeah, sadly, he was a good guy. Um, I'm going to miss him. Um, Godspeed, man. Constable McDermott. Godspeed. He leaves behind a family.
2: My condolences for your loss.
0: All right. So we've got one more song from GM Blacktop, and then we're going to do our pylon shout-outs. I've got some interesting pylon shout-outs, and I'll tell you uh, and explain to you why I'm going to do a shout-out to Animal and Money. Okay, so GM Blacktop, what's this song? It's Diesel Kind of Guy, right? On Highway Freaks? Yes.
1: Trouble's on my mind Money's way behind I've been driving down for 700 miles So I must have made me find
0: great song and that will be the theme song of uh highway freaks in the new year for gm blacktop's uh, diesel kind of guy which i kind of like but anyway last night i was on a reset in ontario california and i was there for like three days and uh, we have these flyers that we had done up quite a while ago and i decided to hand them out and um you know, when you're walking around with your dog for almost three hours, you get some interesting characters out there. And uh, I was handing out flyers, and I had some fun moments. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I basically didn't want to wake people up at a certain time of the night because they were sleeping. So, I'd put the flyers like, you know, during, the, like, not on the wipers, but through the door handles, the door latches. But Volvos are really terrible for putting flyers on. So. I try to fit one on this uh this one door and the door opens up. <laughs> Bandit thought it was an invitation to go in. I said, "No, come on, we got to get going." <laughs> so, so then Gee. I go to another one. I go to another one. And this guy's I come up to him and I I do my my usual pitch and he's uh he's there's a candle burning in the 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 front part of the dash and he's passed out, completely passed out. Right. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, like, you know, if this if this guy was to, you know, suddenly tilt or something, that candle could tilt and cause fire. So I try to wake him up like, hey, 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 nothing. So I put a flyer on his dash and I'm like, oh, whatever. And then I meet this guy and he's a spitting image of. Do you remember that that uh, that Muppet that's called Animal on on the, the Muppets? This guy is the the living, breathing version of a human. And it's got a big thing on the door, animal, right? And I start talking to him and he goes, Yeah, yeah, man, I'm going to listen to your podcast. He said, Can you gonna give me a shout out? And I said, Yeah, I'll give you a shout out. So, um, and he, you know, he was connecting right into that podcast right there and then. So, animal, I give you a shout out. And then this really neat uh, colored guy, uh, Money, Same thing, okay? I give you a shout-out. So you guys both get blue shout-outs, okay? And then um, this uh, real nice couple, uh, I was talking to her more than him, um, never got their names, but I give you a red pylon shout-out because that was really cool, okay? And then we have a black pylon. I always have a black pylon, don't I, Corinne? Oh,
2: yes. We all do. Yes,
0: yes. We all do. Yes, we have absolutely. So, and I, I give a black pylon shout out to the planners of my company, which will remain nameless for now. Because, again, you guys suck. Okay, you not proactive. You let me sit there for another day, losing money. And you think that I would be able to pick up something yesterday, but instead it was this morning. So there's my shout outs. And my pylons as well. Uh let's go over to GM. You got some pylon shoutouts there, bud? Yeah, the pylon shoutouts today. You know, I
1: really have I've, i had a couple of days at home, so I, I really didn't have any pylon shoutouts other than my fiance. She's uh she always gets a pylon, a great pylon, because she always does a great job getting me ready to go back on the road and that kind of thing. And uh, no black pylons. I haven't had anybody you know step on my toes today or yesterday or the day before. And uh, for the guys, uh, I don't know, the guy at the, the guy at the border today, he was a nice guy. We talked about football, so give him a pylons job.
0: All right. Corinne, you always have yeah.
2: them Oh, I don't have any red ones, but uh, for blue one, I will give to GM Blacktop in congratulations for becoming our new house band. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And for Black Pylon, it will go to all those people who start and spread rumors that are just fake and just cause a whole shit show.
3: Right. Good. I agree. Good, I agree.
0: Well, our, our excellent producer, Pav. I'm sure he's got his final pylon shoutouts. outs. Uh, Pav, do you got any?
1: Uh, for me, though, my week was good, nothing uh, like extraordinary, something so it was normal. I would say grandma for the sister, she has been helping, blue one for my boss, he's been really supportive this week. And for black one, I don't think I even have any black one. I was working from home, so I was all good, man. Okay,
0: okay, so. Well, That's 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 a wrap on number 56. And coming up is the eye opener show. And um, I want to preface this because uh, it basically kind of starts a little bit differently. And you're going to hear. A real interesting argument um, that uh, Brian Vollmer will talk about with Brent Derner, uh, the former lead guitarist of Helix. And then Brian, of course, the lead singer of Helix and how they got into it. And uh, it is really comical. So I I have to send that in uh, for part two of the podcast. So give it a listen. And then we will have part three on next week. And, uh, Can't wait this weekend. We've got James P. White from Cruise FM. Going to have some great stories. And uh, we're going to have that podcast interview on the eye opener very, very shortly for you. As well as our guy Ken from Indie Tunes Records. Uh, That's going to be another great one. So uh, as I say, good night. And may the good news be yours. And here's Brent and Brian. Uh, I should say Brian talking about Brent and uh the little skirmish they had thanks guys have a good week welcome to the eye opener with bri guy your host from the highway freaks podcast and this is my stage i ask the hard-hitting questions highlighting rock bands from the 80s and sharing a laugh or two how about celebrities or recent people in the news maybe even my trucker brothers and sisters with their stories or unique pets animal lovers, charities, or just that odd person out there making the headlines, or even something totally off the wall. So let's set your sights now to another eye-opener guest. (laughs) What Brent said, you might have, Brent says to me, I hope you catch him in a good mood. That's what he said to me. (laughs) So, uh, I know Brent and I talk quite a bit. So did uh, you, 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 know, you, really you ever tell you about the time
3: when
4: you only really got in a fist fight? What's that? Did you ever
0: tell you about the time when you only got in a fist fight? No. No, you uh, I'll let you I'll let you tell that on the air on, on the that's funny. Oh yeah, 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 I
4: think it's a funny story. It was okay. a long time ago. It was in like nineteen seventy six. And we were yeah. playing uh, well we had to play the night before an arm prior outside of Ottawa and we had to right. drive all night long overnight. To, um, I think it was Dune outside of Kitchener. And we were right. playing with Gato and Wireless and Hot Rocks, I think. Anyway, we, we uh-huh. had a travel, believe it or not, in the back of the equipment truck, uh-huh. falling down around our heads, right? Uh-huh. We get back, we do this gaga, and we're playing on a flatbed trailer, and we, we just have an awful set. They're half of uh-huh. asleep and stuff, right? Anyway, we come off into this trailer, and uh, Brent's going. You, f- <laughs> f-. we're going back and forth. We're right at each other's. Joe <laughs> would say, and right. uh, Brent went and grabbed his. I'm going, come on, let's f-. and Brent takes his. He had an SG. He had a- one of those burgundy colored SGs. Yeah. And he took it to the door, and he had it like a-, a baseball grip on the net neck. And he stepped outside the door, and he just flung it. And it went flying up into a tree like a frisbee. And it st- <laughs> stuck in tree. Well, anyway, we went back and we're like face to face. We're like going, come on, let's... All of a sudden, we hear a tap, tap, tap at the door. We open the door. Here's this little kid with Brent's guitar. He says, you want this back, mister? Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, is, that is... That's that's classic. Brian, you, you you did this thing called the parachute roll. And it actually... Got you in some serious injuries uh, on stage. What happened? Well, initially, I did this
4: parachute roll, as you call it, at the Waterloo Motor Inn, which we just stayed at because we just played at uh, Maxwell's in Waterloo. But uh, we had been booked in the Waterloo Motor Inn, and nobody showed up. So we had these great big wedge-shaped monitors. And, they, and uh, I went and I was screwing around. I did a flip-off one because it looked like a pommel horse. So, I flipped off this thing, and everybody went, Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? And everybody laughed, big laugh, right? And somebody said, You should do that in the show. So, I started doing it in the show, and of course, everybody said, You got to do that in the show. You got to make it part of the show, right? You got to do it. So, I started flipping off like monitors and uh, just run across and like do rolls. I was going barrel rolls. I was going across the stage. And I got that I could do it pretty fast, but, but I wasn't trained in doing it at all. And so, you know, through most of the 80s, and uh, we were like, you know, half wired on stage, either with amphetamines or alcohol. So, like, when I was doing these roles, you didn't really feel I was smashing my back down on stage. But time catches up to you. And um, uh, probably one of the last times I did it was on when I did Cover Me Canada with uh, David Clayton Thomas and uh, uh, Bill Henderson of uh, Kilowatt. And, uh, who else was on that Alan Frew? Anyway, uh, that was probably one of the last times I did it. But since then I've kind of developed nerve damage in the back and, uh, have to take Lyrica for it, which is a diabetic nerve drug. Uh, and be very careful with my back. I don't, I don't jog or even, uh, ride a bike anymore. I walk, I walk about 10 miles a day. Well, you, you fell through the stage. Uh, wasn't it in Europe or Germany? I felt you on stage in numerous places. I felt you on stage at the Hilltop Pub in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And, and the reason being is because you ever jumped on chipboard really hard? You were taking a sheet of chipboard and jumped on it? You can knock a, a complete circle out if you hit it hard enough. Yeah, yeah wait, of course. Right? Well, I did that in a stage out in Fredericton once. I did it somewhere else, can't remember. And I also did it over in uh, Germany when we were on tour with uh, Motorhead. Right. I think yeah. one, of the, one of the funkiest injuries I've ever had in stage, though, is when I hit my elbow with the friggin' microphone. I, sw- I, I swing my microphone, and we were at the uh, Whiskey A Go-Go. And I swung my microphone. When I pulled it back, I missed catching it, and it hit me right on the, the pointy part of my elbow. And it split it right down the center. And it just started bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. I went back to the hotel that night and I wrapped it in a towel. And uh I got up a couple times at night to take a piss. And in the morning when I woke up, it looked like my room looked like Slaughterhouse Five. There was like <laughs> blood across the uh, blood everywhere, right? So <laughs> over the next couple months, my elbow would keep healing, right? And be get a big scab, but because when I bend my elbow, the friggin' scab would pop off. So I go in the bus, I go, hey guys, look at this. I go, pop the friggin' thing off, right? But eventually it went away. Well, we got over to uh, Europe on just about 1999, I think, on the Ian Gillen tour. And we're in uh, Prescara, Italy. We broke down with the van. We're in Pescara, Italy. And I wake up in the morning and my friggin' elbow is the size of an orange. We got, I don't know what happened, right? And uh, so I had to go to the uh, doctor in, uh, in Italy and get my uh, elbow fixed up. Um, that was a good one. That was a hard
0: one to get rid of. And then the elbow is part of what bothered me to this day. And then you did something with a drumstick. What was that about? Uh,
4: that was another one. I stuck my... I stuck a drumstick in my face one night, and I know exactly the night it was. We were playing with Wasp and Crocus in uh, Winnipeg at the auditorium, a great big, friggin' echoey uh, hockey rink. And there was a buzz, and it was terrible sound all night long for all three bands. It was a terrible night. And um, anyway, I ran over uh, uh, to sing Make Me Do Anything You Want, I think. And I just finished off a song where I was playing cowbell, And I don't know, I forgot the stick was in my hand. I forget what it was. I grabbed my microphone, I went to sing, and I rammed it right into my eye, like just above my eye. And I had to go to the hospital to get a stitch. I think I had six stitches. I still got a scar from that. But um, (laughs)
3: that's called too much alcohol. That's why I don't drink no more.
0: Rock and roll can be painful, eh?
4: Well, you know, we all drank and we all did amphetamines and it was because of the job.
0: When we right. first started,
4: I didn't even drink, but we used to travel all the time. And what, what else do you do when you got tons of spare time and nothing to do except pick your nose? You're going to be, right. you know, drinking, drinking, smoking dope, you know, like doing yep. shit to pass the time, reading books. Um, you know, we did do that do too. We went through tons of books. I did more reading back then than ever. All the guys did. Even Brent?
0: Even Brent. Even Brent. So, speaking of the band members, you have gone through a shitload of band members over your 45 years. Um, you know, I mean, my band. I, I mean, I, I like Def Leppard, and they've gone through a few people. But compared to Def Leppard, you have gone through insane amount of people. Why? Why do you think that is? And you know, can you elaborate on some of the people you've had in your band, Brian?
4: Yeah, like uh, first off, your question on why so many members. Well, we, you know, we are fifty years old, and the core lineup that people know us by, which is uh, myself, Paul Hackman, Brent Durner, Greg Fritz, Heinz, and Duro Gray, right? That lineup was actually together for a long time. It was together from 1983 to uh, 1989, so that was <laughs> the six years of our. But um, a lot of changes happened to the initial years of the band. The guys like Isaac Bruce Arnold, uh, Keith Zubrick, um, who else? Don Simmons. They all left. Ron Watson. You know, so all those guys left during you know relatively, uh, you know, beginning of the band when we first went on the road. And then once uh-huh. Brent left, then Denny Bilecki come in. And then you know, during the 90s, things really started to fall apart. And it was whoever I'd get to play for me, really. Um, I was regarded as a has-been, washed up, done, you know, baked uh, over uh-huh. in the business. And um, I just kept going. And eventually got the original lineup back together. And then Brent had to drop out eventually because of health problems. And
0: uh, <laughs> just kept yeah, going. Yeah. Brent is still connected to the band, isn't he? Yeah, I still somewhat, talk to Brent all the
4: time. Brent, Brent does videos for me still, uh, posters, all sorts of things like that.
0: Yes, which brings me to Eat, Sleep, Rock. I want to talk about that video because I I saw that for the very first time, and uh, you know, two days ago, and I laughed my butt off. It was it was great, and, and the music is amazing, amazing. But uh, I want to play one of your. All time big time hits, heavy metal love, which is a song about Joan Jett, as I understand, is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And did you ever play with Joan Jett on stage? That song? Never. Never. And does Joan I don't, Jett I don't know even that? know? I,
4: I don't. I don't even know she knows that songs about her. Really, really. So did you have a, like a, a bit of a crush
0: on her at that time?
4: Well, I just had this uh, general type of. Uh, stereotyped idea in my mind of what a heavy metal love would look like, you know? Okay. Black leather and white lace and, right, and rock right. and roll. and Joan Jett just oh, popped that. into your head, right? Well, originally when I wrote the song, when I wrote the lyrics for it, I was on my way home. I had forgot my stage clothes and we were playing in Seaforth, Ontario at the Queen's Hotel and I was driving home and I heard this song on the radio. It was something like... My rock and roll baby. It was something like that. And I thought, well, I should just write a song called Heavy Metal Love, kind of like a play on same type of title. And when I got back, <laughs> had, or I should say Paul had this lick and we wrote the whole song. Like five minutes. The next day we put it on stage and we played it every day since. Uh, and that and is became
0: your, arguably the, biggest, the band's biggest hit. Yeah, biggest hit to date. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so Let's play Heavy Metal Love on Highway Freaks, the eye-opener show right here. So during the uh, pandemic, you filmed uh, a video and you call videos commercials for your band, Brian, Um, Eat Sleep Rock. Tell me all about it and how did you uh, manage to create it? Well, it's
4: kind of a one trick pony when it comes to the effect, but I like the effect so much I wanted to use it. And Brennan showed it to me uh, with somebody else he was working with. And it was only a couple seconds because it was a very time consuming process to make it happen to make it look like it did. I think um, that's something to do with taking every sixth frame out, or I can't remember exactly what it was. But we had to play the tracks. I can't remember if it was slower or faster, and we had to move according to the speed it was being played, and it was really weird doing it. Um, We did it all separately because of COVID. We couldn't be there together. So everybody came in separately, and then Brent had to... Put them separately on the stage, so we're not actually on a stage together, and uh, that's what we came up
0: with during COVID. And it it is—it's so catchy. Like if uh, MTV was around today, I, I could tell you that'd be the number one video they'd be playing. Um, and uh, uh, of course, but we got uh, a lot of
4: great stuff out there. That you know, we we do it as best as we can with the money we have nowadays. Remember, back in the day, we were operating with a hundred twenty-five thousand dollar budget per video. Right from <laughs> now EMI. we're dealing with like now we're dealing with a thousand to fifteen hundred because you don't make any money on videos so that's why a lot of bands don't do them even even bands like Def Leppard they probably don't spend more than say six thousand dollars on a video it's pretty mm-hmm. cheapy right so right. Which, which in in one way is a good thing because then you have to instead of using a fancy effects you have to have a good idea and I I think in that particular video we had a great idea like I'd never seen that type of visual effect used before uh, in a video so that's what I was shooting for same thing with the tequila song we did uh, yes. uh, line dancing and that was very that was- hard to like, people have no idea right we, I spent with the, of all the people they were all volunteers we, we were practicing 3-4 times a week going through those wow. moves to get get what we had there right incredible yeah. it wasn't easy I, I, to do and uh and uh, the lady that taught us dance and dev she was laugh uh well she you know she helped us out and i don't know how good the video actually did for us or the song but it was something i wanted to do and uh at this point in my life i just do things whether or not you know if they make me money that's great i'm not saying i push money away from me i think that's a bad habit to get into but i put stuff out that's quality as, as best I can do it with the money I have, like I said. And uh, as long as it expresses what I want it expressed, I f- figure that I've achieved my goal.
0: I love tequila. Uh, the, the the lady, your love interest in, in, in question there, uh, was that an actress or was that like your aunt or something like that? <laughs> my aunt.
4: <laughs> Uh, that's a person I know back home in London, Ontario, and she wanted uh, really bad to be in a video, so I approached her and uh, her husband said, okay, and to deal with
0: Wanda. That is classic. I, that, I really like that video. That that made me laugh. Um, that's some of the beauty of, 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 you know, doing some research for these, when you do these interviews. Her yeah, a, a real name Shirley McCarthy, that, that woman. Okay. Yeah, I've known Shirley. okay.
4: I've known Shirley I've known Shirley for a long time, and uh, that's why I wanted her in the video. But, um, you know, I, I thought it worked out well. I had a lot of fun in that video, especially when uh, Daryl's in the crib. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And they superimposed his face on the baby. Well, it didn't superimpose his face. He actually had his head stuck out through the crib. Oh, okay. I did. He actually had that his was... head stuck out in a hole in the bottom of the crib, and we had the the body of the baby there, right? And we, oh. we, had, six, we had six or something moving the arms. That was well done. That was well, well done. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, did that, um, I did that in my kitchen at home,
0: believe it or not. That, that part of it. Yeah. You've had some interesting people in videos, um, uh, the the one uh, running wild in the 21st century, Snake Man. What can you tell me about that guy?
4: Well, when I was at the lowest point of my life working for Manpower in London, I was on uh, a job for Bice Construction, ripping out the Bass Rail, which was an old club in London. And the first day we showed up, there was about 20 people, and we were, I think we were tearing out something that had asbestos in it. And the second day, I was the only one stupid enough to show up, but I was there. Anyway, it was lunchtime, and I was covered in black suit. And uh, there was a place called Mary's Lunch on Dundas Street, which had a special on lasagna. And I walked in, I'm eating my lasagna, and then walked this guy tattooed from head to, fo- uh, you know, head to toe. And mm-hmm. I walked right over, I said, I don't know who you are, but I want you in one of my videos. I introduced myself, dirty as hell. And he said, okay, I'd be proud to be in a video for you, right? So uh, the first song off Back to Another Taste was The Storm. We couldn't use Snake in it. But the second one, Running Wild well in the 21st Century, I brought his name up, and they went, ah, I don't know about this guy. He looks dangerous, right? And finally, I, I pushed so hard to get Snake in the video that we come to an agreement between me, my management, and, the, and uh, Champagne. No, sorry. It was Phil Cates at that time that did that video. Uh, he said, if you take care of him, he's all right. So I said, sure, no problem. He's a pussycat. So I bought Snake in, and uh, he really made that video. It, it, I just talked to him a little video. while ago. You know, uh, it, it's, you know it's, it's so sad because I think right now he's, like, struggling to survive. Uh, you oh. know, he's an older man now he's in his 70s, and he's in, in uh, St. Thomas, and he's trying to survive just living. You know, he's, I don't think he's doing too well. Or oh, like health wise or or you mean
3: finance
0: wise most oh yeah cuz uh, that video is great you know you got your hair flying with probably uh, fans uh, or, or i don't know how how you did that and uh, it's just it's like uh, the uh the one that i like in it too is like the the motley crew uh you know the wild side it's just it's such a kick ass video and it's one of my favorites. And then well, it's when you funny you, see you mentioned snake- the
4: are flowing in the wind because mm-hmm. we did a um, we played on a boat. I forget what it was called, the uh, show. But it was in Toronto Harbor. <laughs> right. And we were out in the harbor, and the whole boat smel- smelled of dope. But anyway, it's just a <laughs> pack of rock and rollers, right? It was a beautiful sunny day. All of a sudden, the storm came in, and we were right in the middle of playing running wild for 21st century. And the boat started to It was so friggin' windy and stuff, right? And raining so hard, and the wind was coming through. And I, I looked over at uh, who the hell was playing guitar for me at that time. Oh, it was Caleb, and his hair was blowing just like the video. <laughs> oh. So when you when you yeah. when you mentioned the hair blowing in that video, that made me think of that. Yeah, instantly. Oh, that was, I, I, that was I a good gig. That, that and, was a good. And game. did you
0: film? Was that filmed in Toronto? Yes okay yeah because you, you did a lot filmed, of money.
4: that was filmed at the toronto was it how was that filmed i think that might have been filmed at the toronto Brickyards. oh no i kidding. know the storm i know the storm was the storm was right. at the toronto Brickyards, and that was the same place you did rock you
0: okay Okay. Now we would be remiss if we did not have a Lemmy story. I know Lemmy was a good friend of yours, uh, former lead singer of Motorhead, and um, a lot of people kind of misunderstood him. So, can you can you tell you tell us a little bit about uh, Lemmy? Well, I don't know what they
4: misunderstood because what you see was what you got with Lemmy. Meister, I think his last name was. Uh, okay. He was, but he was a sweet guy. He wasn't, he wasn't, uh, um, violent in any way. He wasn't, Mm -hmm. uh, vulgar or nothing when you talk to the guy. But he was a funny, he was a funny guy, is what he was. And, um, I was talking to his drummer. Uh, Help me here. Who is his drummer? Place the Scorpions now. Oh, you gotta go. I,
3: so I, know, I played call, in Sweden with him a couple
4: of years ago, and he told me, he said, You know, Lemmy died. And I uh-huh. said, No, how'd Lemmy die? Well, as you know, Lemmy was living down the street from the Rainbow. Right. And he used to go down the Rainbow, and he, so much so that people would come to the Rainbow just to see if they could catch a glimpse of Lemmy and buy him a drink. Right. So when he was down at the Rainbow, he used to always play the Pac Man machine there. So when he knew he was dying, he phoned up the Rainbow and he said, Look it. He said, I'm dying. I wonder if I could have the Pac-Man machine at my apartment, uh, get it installed here, and when I pass away, you can have the machine back or buy it. I can't remember exactly how it went. But anyway, they said, okay, no problem. So they bring the machine down, the Pac-Man machine, and they're installing it in his uh, house or his apartment. And it was he's on the couch D, by the way. Brian, Mickey, D. D. Called, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey D., D. Mickey D. Mickey D. told me this story. Okay. Right. Well, so anyway, okay. according to Mickey D, the guy's installing the Pac Man machine. He looks over at Lemmy. Lemmy's sitting in the couch looking up at the ceiling. And he says, Lemmy, he says, You all right? what's the matter? Lemmy goes, right So I can't f- no more. I can't do f- drugs no more. Right there. So And that's how Lemmy, Lemmy died. Wow.
0: Wow. That's, that's pretty potent. Absolutely. I love that
4: story straight, straight from Mickey D. You know, yeah. That must, yeah. must be true. But, like, you know, I had yeah. a lot of funny things happen with, with Lemmy and me. Um, like I said, a very straight shooter. He told me of uh, roading for Jimi Hendrix. Right. And how him and Hendrix did uh, windowpane ass that were high for, like, three days together. He wow. told me about uh, being in Hawkwind, uh, jumping, uh, somebody jumped off stage dressed as a frog into the pond in front of him. <laughs> oh.
0: uh, he he was pretty hardcore he 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 kind of he he was definitely the epitome of of uh uh a heavy rock band singer and and uh well, well, he talked about, one about being a leave.
4: speed freak. When he talked about being a speed freak he was talking from personal experience i can assure you that a hundred percent okay so those guys did copious amounts of crystal meth like i mean Oh, large amounts. Like, I'm talking, like, lines, like, a quarter-inch deep and a quarter-inch wide kind of lines. And um, and drink. They'd stay up yeah. drinking for three days, not go to bed. Can you imagine yeah. that, yeah. Doing, doing crystal meth and drinking alcohol and, and playing? And playing, right. All and, right yeah. but, and, you know, and, let me live to be, what, 73 years old?
0: Yeah, well it's it, it doesn't it just doesn't always justify the type of lifestyle you lead. You can still uh you can still uh, get into your seventies too, right? So especially those well, rock I mean look that, at look at Keith Richards. Keith Richards is a medical miracle on stage. <laughs> like he should be dead, right?
1: Well, yeah,
4: but you got to remember with Keith Richards right? He only does the best. He doesn't do any f- street drugs. He's doing pharmaceutical-grade friggin' heroin or whatever the hell he's doing. Okay. yeah. So, so you're oh, a, big that makes a big fisherman. Yeah, that, that makes a big difference. You're, you're a big fisherman, I heard. Well, I like fishing. I wouldn't say I'm not good at it. Okay. Do you do the deep sea fishing? I've got
3: the, a lot of, lot of fisherman fishing?
4: friends down here.
2: Yeah. Deep sea, do you see,
4: I'm the Gulf with my friend Derek, Raw Flush. Okay. And uh, Cam Dick takes me out, too. He, Cam lives down here. He's actually from Minnesota. Uh, okay. Derek's from back home. And when I'm back in Canada, I go uh, fishing with uh, Brian Dunamy in down in Windsor.
0: Do you have any uh, large, tall fish tales to tell our freaks? <laughs> fish tales.
4: Well, yeah. I remember uh, uh, this is as close to a fish tail as I get. We used to have this guy named, uh, Dean, uh, uh, Dean, 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 Dean. He'll come to me. Dean Mitchell. Uh, he was from, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was a young, kind of plump kid. He started working for us and, uh, we were up in Northern Ontario and, um, he, he wanted to go fishing on a day off and the owner of the hotel took us out and, uh, we were going between this island. There was only about 30 feet between the shore and this island. And the guy goes, Okay, so when we get to the middle, he says, Hold on to your rod. He says, We'll start hitting. We're going, Yeah, right, buddy. Sure enough, we got to the center, and our rods just like bent right over. Well, this, you know, Dean Mitchell was from Green Bay, Wisconsin. He'd never really seen Canadian fishing. Well, this friggin' fish came up by the side of the boat. It had to be like five feet long. And he nearly like shit his pants. Um, That's as
0: close as I get to a big fish story. I'll, I'll, I could tell you one. I uh, I jigged an uh, eighty-five pound halibut in forty feet of water in Hardy Bay in Port Hardy. And have you ever jigged? Uh, have you ever done jigging?
3: What? Yeah, uh, just no, I haven't.
4: Okay. Do you know what jigging is? Not really. What, are taking a bobber
0: and just jigging it in the water? It, you, you're taking a three-prong hook with a line, and you're dropping it all the way down to, to the ocean floor, and you're basically bouncing that thing up and down. That's all you're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, okay, and then the, the fish hooks onto that thing, and you have rubber gloves because the line will run through your, your hands like at lightning speed. And if you don't have these gloves on, they got little bumps, you will get them cut right into your hands. And um, the, the fight's on. you gotta, you got to land a fish, literally, with a long line and, and pull that fish in. And, well, I was fishing uh, in Costa Rica, and uh, we didn't even bring them in. Like, uh,
4: the, the Costa Ricans that were doing the boat charter, they pulled them in. They had heavy, heavy gloves on. Because we uh-huh. caught a couple, I think we caught three sailfish. Which we couldn't bring in the boat. We could only bring them up to the boat for a picture, and we had to let them go. And we right. caught a, a Maui Maui, which is like close to six feet, and uh, it was huge. We ate that one; it was huge. And uh, would, I caught a—that'd be something. A 14 to land. Pound, that would... yeah, fourteen-pound tuna. Wow! So uh, you know if they had gloves on when they taking those fish out.
0: Yeah. Do you have a boat, Brian? No. I have lots of friends with oh. boats. Oh, okay. I, I I thought you might have a boat. I thought, you know, you name it, the Helix or something. No. N- never no, thought of I'm getting a boat. No. Really? Oh, okay. So you are a landlord at an Airbnb uh, that you you own, right? Does that? Do you still That's own that. an Airbnb? Okay. Let's play. The house is on fire. From Helix on eye-opener on Highway Freaks. That's Brian Vollmer of Helix Part 2. And next week, we've got Part 3 coming up on the eye-opener on Highway Freaks. So don't go away.